We've been working through a series entitled Simple Christmas. And if you remember back over the last couple of weeks, uh, the first week, two weeks ago, uh, we looked at refocus and what it means to take and to refocus and to kind of Uh, refocus our minds as we prepare for the Christmas season and all that God has done for us as we celebrate that. And last week, Pastor Tim walked us through remain. And what it means to remain where God has placed you, even sometimes when it's not exactly where uh, you would want to be or where you would have thought you would be, but yet understanding where God has you and what it looks like to remain in that. This week, we will close out this series on simple Christmas as we look at return. What does it look like after all of it is over? Now what? I don't know about you, but uh, I, my two favorite days of the year are Christmas. We absolutely love Christmas in our house. Uh, it starts at Thanksgiving, and generally the day after Thanksgiving or the, the two days after Thanksgiving, we set up our tree. Um, from Thanksgiving on, we only listen to Christian or to, to Christmas music. Uh, we decorate the house. We, I mean, we got more decorations than you can even imagine, and it seemed to even in the process pick up more as they go on sale after Christmas, of course. But we love Christmas. And then my second favorite day of the year is the day after Christmas. For this year, for us, we were out of town over Christmas and we were traveling back on Friday. So for us, it was Saturday. It was two days after Christmas. It's the day that you put it all away. You know what I mean? It's the day. I mean, it has been great, but we are not listening to Christmas music anymore for 11 months. You hear me? I mean, it was great, but now it's time to return things back to at least a semi-state of normal. But really, what does that mean? And that's really what we're going to look at here this morning. When it's all said and done and all of the celebration and worship and and all that has taken place and the fun and family and the get-together, now what? Now, where do we go from here, and what is it that God calls us to from this day forward? If you've got your Bibles, I would invite you to look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to have the ushers to make their way down front, and if you need a Bible, I encourage you to just slip up your hand. We'd love to be able to get one into your hands. We're going to walk through this passage, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. And this is uh, this is also this is one of my favorite uh, stories in Scripture, uh, and, and it's because uh, this is the only account that we get from the from when Jesus was eight days old two weeks ago. With Pastor Tim walked through that passage with Simeon and and Anna as they went into the temple. From that point until adulthood, this is the only passage of Scripture that we see any indication of what Jesus was like as a child or a, a, as a young man. And uh, it, this is just uh, one of those cool passages where you actually get to see what's it like to raise the perfect child. And that's something I would have no idea what that looks like, right? Unfortunately, my kids are too much like me, and we've seen that. So if you got your Bibles there, look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. Point number one, we're going to... Start off with is worship, make it a priority. 
Worship. Make it a priority. I'm going to read through the first half of this passage and we'll kind of go back and kind of walk through it from there. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, he went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. So we see here his parents, it says, and his parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of the Passover. What we're seeing is we're getting a little snapshot at some of the rituals, some of the traditions here that Mary and Joseph had. And so this was an annual event for this family. And and just so you know, the custom of the day, there were three primary uh, uh, feasts, holidays in which they celebrated. The first was the Feast of the Passover, which is actually a a one-day event of the Passover in which they celebrated the the angel of death's passing over and God's deliverance of the people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. Remember the story there as, as, as Moses led them out of Egypt against Pharaoh's wish, wishes. And we saw the, the ten plagues, the tenth plague being the firstborn child who died in the land of Egypt and the angel of death passed over, but saving the uh, Israeli homes in that. And so we had the feast of the Passover. Actually, the Passover was the first day that then ushered in the feast of the unleavened bread, which was the rest of the week. And many times it's just referred to as the week of Passover. But actually, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The unleavened bread, it signified that they would remove all of the leaven from the house. And they made the bread. And, and when, they would, when they took off out of Egypt, they went so fast they didn't have time to let the bread rise. So it was all unleavened bread. But they would remove the bread from the house because the leaven signified sin. And so the, the week of the Passover, they were offering sacrifices and, and the week of unleavened bread, it was, it was getting rid of the leaven, getting rid of the sin and offering sacrifices for the sin of the people. And, and so it was a pretty big deal, probably the biggest holiday of the year for the Jews. And, and it was a custom at, at least sometime in your life to go to Jerusalem for Passover. Uh, we see here with Mary and Joseph that this was something though, that they did regularly every year. And uh, I just want to start off by, by understanding that, that that was quite a statement. I don't know about you, but uh, we did a little traveling this past week. Uh, we were gone for three days, actually probably about 48 hours when everything was said and done. And we packed everybody up, six young adults, an 80-pound Rottweiler, into a minivan that's still running. We don't drive it a lot, but uh, we save it for just these occasions. And we drove all the way to Ohio and was there for a few days. And then we drove all the way back. And it was a, oh, it was a whole lot of fun. But for them, it would have even been a bigger deal. And so it was their custom that they would actually gather together and they would go in for a week. And the whole family would go. As we see, there was was quite a group here of family and acquaintances. We we see this here as well, referred to in the passage. And we see absolutely the fact that this must have been a priority for them. Uh, This could not have been cheap. 
right? A week being gone, a week of uh, finding a place to stay, a week of uh, eating out, if you will, and all of that. Everybody say, that's not cheap. Yeah, it's not, is it? It's amazing how much money. But yet it was something that they would do, and they would do it on an annual basis for the Passover. And so we see, and when he was 12 years old, the he ring referred to here is Jesus. And so we're picking up the story while we've heard nothing of what Jesus was like from the age of eight days until now the, the age of 12 years old. It says he was 12 years old and they went according to the custom. And so you need to also understand that this would have been a big event for Jesus at the age in which he was. Because he was coming very close to becoming a man. At age 13, he was declared a man. And we hear that term a lot of times even today, bar mitzvah. And so at 12 years old, and as he got closer and closer to that magical age of 13, when he was no longer a child, but now he was a man. And so there was a lot of preparation that was going on, a lot of learning that was taking place of literally what it meant to be a man, to be a Jewish man, and all the things that they needed to know and understand. And so we see the significance in that the, the he was 12 years old. They were going into Jerusalem. It says, and when the feast had ended, literally it's saying after they had been there that week, after they had been there celebrating and being a part of all of the Passover celebration and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it says they were returning and the boy Jesus stayed behind. And then you see those magical words. But his parents did not know it can i get an uh-oh out there and his parents did not know it yeah that's not good but supposing him to be with the group they went a day's journey but when they began searching for him amongst the relatives and acquaintances and they did not find him they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. So it says they made it a day's journey. And you need to also understand they were from Nazareth. They were returning to Nazareth. They had been in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on about seven hills in the area. It's elevated. You always hear the terms. They went up to Jerusalem. They were going down to Nazareth there. It was a uh, trek that, that if you could go as the crow flies, it would have been about 81 miles. But uh, there wasn't a good way to go that route, so they actually would have to go a little west and kind of down towards the coast and then up around that way. And so it would have been about a 100-mile distance that they were covering. So it would have taken three or four days uh, to make this trip. And and it was customary a lot of times when they traveled that, that early in the morning the, the women would pack up and they would kind of go together and then the men would follow in the group with the kids, some of the kids with them or especially some of the older kids. And so that, that would have been very customary. It very well may have been what was taking place where they were actually kind of traveling in two groups and then they would gather for the night. They would camp for the night. They would count heads for the night and realize that they were one child short and does anybody here know what that feeling is like all right it's confession time i'm going to be brutally honest here with you and let you know in our family i'm known for leaving the kids behind at church it's true i i was thinking back over the last couple of weeks and i think it all started uh, back in 
when we were younger and, and it started early on and we'd just gotten married and we all had older brothers and sisters. We were still living close by to my parents and there was the Sunday that we left mom at church. <laughs> Unfortunately, we didn't realize it until we were all sitting around the dining room table. It's a true story. And we realized there was no food anywhere. And we looked at each other and said, where's mom? And so we made, went back to get mom there. Um, I, I left Miranda at church one time when she was probably four or five after VBS. We had it actually during the day, the VBS uh, during the day. And uh, and uh, I, I just assumed she was with Tiffany and and drove home. I literally walked in the door and, she, and Tiffany said, where's Miranda? And I went, and then I got the look. Yeah, um, well, he lost Thomas one time. This was actually not at church. I lost him at Walmart, and they actually had to close down the store, and we found him. I wasn't, I was in kind of tr- a lot of trouble. Now, I need to, maybe I should qualify things here. I, I, I'm starting my 22nd year of ministry, and uh, I, I've had 10 years of student ministry. I never lost a kid in student ministry, Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm the missions pastor here. I, I've taken dozens of trip around the world with many, many people. I have never left anybody in a foreign country or lost anybody. But when it comes to my kids, I seem to lose them on occasion. The worst time, though, was a few years ago. We were still meeting at the embassy suites. And uh, we had had both services that morning. We had had party with the pastors and so we were, remember, we met in the kind of side rooms at embassy suites and, and everybody kind of had cleared out and we were talking with people and Tiffany and I were uh, getting ready to go. And I will admit my wife was with me on this occasion. The kids had, had left uh, already before that and we got home and I looked at my phone and the caller ID said it was from Abby. And I answered the phone and she says, Dad, where are you? Are you in the parking lot? Well, maybe a little further from the parking lot. But there was a problem with that. I wasn't just supposed to bring Abby home. I was also supposed to bring Abby and Megan Harkness, her best friend, who was coming home. And so I immediately scrambled and said, don't worry, I'll be right there. It'll be just a few minutes. And then I said those words. I said, whatever you do, don't tell Tim and Jana. And she says, it's too late. They're standing right here. <laughs> so it was kind of a tough week that week in the office, as you can imagine. But as we see that they left Jesus behind, they just didn't realize it. They assumed he was with the, with the other group. And if you like me have ever done that, you understand there is no judgment at all for me in the fact that they left Jesus behind. But that's where we see in the story the fact that that they were, though, regularly going up for these times of worship. We're going to pick up with how they find Jesus here in just a moment. But, but I don't want to go any further without just emphasizing the fact that worship was a priority. We see clearly the fact that worship was a priority. And so my question to you this morning is this. Is, is worship a priority with you? Not just is this just something that we do, uh, you know, kind of if we have time for it or whatever. But it's is worship a priority? And, 
And the challenge, I think, here from the first point is the fact that, you know what, moving forward, as we talk about returning back to supposed normal life here after the holidays, though, my challenge is this, make worship a priority in your life. We see in Scripture the fact that it says, not forsaking the assembling of of yourselves together, as is the manner of some in Hebrews, it says. It's saying, make sure you take those times to corporately come together and worship together. Is, is that a priority with you? Obviously, I'm speaking a little bit to the choir and the fact that you are here. But I also understand that a lot of times we see that that's just maybe something that we do if we don't have anything else going on on a Sunday morning. It's important to come together. It's important to lift up the name of, of, of Jesus together and to spend that time together. But even more than that, it's important to be worshiping day in and day out in your personal worship. Is that something that, that is a priority for you? And the challenge here from the first point is, is, is this coming year? Make it a priority. We just announced the fact the Vertical Church's band is coming in in a couple of weeks. You know what? They, they have some, some just fantastic worship music. If you don't have any of their music, I, this is, I don't make anything off the sale of their CDs here, but uh, pick up some music. Make that a regular part of what's going on in the home as you're listening to worship music, as you're spending time sitting down daily, interacting with God, lifting up the name of Jesus Christ in worship. Number two. Walk and work. Plan for growth by learning, applying, and obeying God's word. Plan for growth by learning, applying, and obeying God's word. Where do we see this? Well, pick back up in verse 46 in the story. It says, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and found favor with God and man. So it says, so they all of a sudden have that panic moment. Where is Jesus? And then it says, after three days, they find him. And so I thought about that. And you you think about those moments and sometimes for, for just a few moments and the panic that sets in when you can't find a child. And here it says that, that after three days they found him. Literally what, what probably is being referred to is the fact that they had the first day they took off and they went a, day, a day's distance away. They would have gathered, realized, then it would have taken another day to go back to Jerusalem. Probably they would have had to find some place to stay the night, that night as well. And then on the third day, probably is when they would have come and finally found him in the temple. And and not only that, it says that, that they were just astonished at what they found. Because as they finally 
come across and find where Jesus is, they, they go into the temple area and they see that he is seated at the, the feet of the rabbis. And it says that, that, that literally what was going on is, is the rabbis would come in and they would start to teach and they would sit down and people would sit around and, and one of the ways in which primarily that they would teach is, is, is the Socratic method. They would be asking questions and people would be answering back and they would be walking people through doctrine, walking people through scripture and what it all is saying and what it is meaning. And here we see Jesus seated right, seated right there at their feet. And probably the implication is that's probably what he was do, had been doing for the last three days at the age of 12. While he was fully God and at the same time fully man. But we also know that much of his deity was was veiled at this point. And so he was fully God. And we see in this passage the recognition that he knew who he was. That is absolutely true. But yet he also realized that he had much to learn and much growing to do. And it says, though, that the people that were around him, what? Were amazed at the insight and the answers that they were getting. As they were teaching through the material, and evidently this was a more mature subjects that they were talking through, and yet the, the insight that he had and the way that he answered his questions, as they saw he was learning and growing, yet the fact that they were just amazed at the insight that he had. And the things that he did know. It says they were amazed. And then we see Mary and Joseph walk in. And it says that, that they also were astonished. They were astonished not only at, at where he was. But I think they were also astonished at what he was doing. And then you see one of those famous parental questions. Anytime you've lost a child, you've gone through the panic of losing the child, and Mary says to Jesus, what? Why have you done this to us? What were you thinking? Didn't you know you absolutely worried us sick? We see absolutely the fear. It says that we were, that, that they were greatly distressed. Literally, we could say it in our terms, they'd say they were scared to death. They couldn't find their son. In the midst of the fear, in the midst of this confrontation, and, and some would say, whoa, uh-oh, somebody's in trouble now. And yet, what is Jesus' response? He kind of answers in disbelief. He answers and says, what? Why wouldn't you think I was here? I must be about my father's house. Some of your translations say, I must be about my, your, my father's business. Literally, what we're seeing here is the fact that Jesus knew his identity and he knew his purpose. He knew who he was and he knew what he was there to be doing. There, there, there's a parallel that's drawn. You see, Mary, it says, your father and I were searching for you and greatly distressed. And then Jesus says what? I must be about my father's house. Was he talking about Joseph? No. I must be about my heavenly father's business. Jesus knew his identity. 
He knew who he was. And he also was very purposeful. He knew what he was there to do. How about you? Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know what it means to be a child of God? An adopted child. When we come to Christ, he adopts us into the family. And we are a part of all all of the inheritance that comes to the heirs. It's not about who I am. It's about who I am in Christ. It's not about my self-esteem. It's about my Christ-esteem. Who I am in Christ. When we understand who we are and then understand what it is that God is calling us to do. And in this passage, we see a wonderful statement of growth and maturity. And in the last verse there, and well, verse 51, it says, He went down and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. It says he was submissive to them. And, and, and please understand, nothing by Jesus' response here. He was not being sarcastic. He, didn't, he wasn't saying it with attitude. He was not sinning in his response. He was truly dumbfounded that, of course, he would be in his father's house. And it says that he responded in obedience in a very submissive way as he understood that he was submissive to God and he was also submissive to the authorities that God had placed in his life and his earthly parents. And it says, Mary pondered these things in her heart. And I can't help but wonder, just 12 years earlier, the angel had appeared to Mary and said, you're going to have a child. The angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, you need to take this child. Well, first of all, this child is of the Holy Spirit and then came to him later and said, you need to take this child. We looked at last week back down to uh, Egypt for your safety. But then 12 years had gone by from when it was prophesied of who Jesus was. He would be called Emmanuel, God with us, to this account here. And I can't help but wonder if they just got caught up in the day-to-day issues of life. And they forgot the fact that Jesus was God. It says, Mary pondered these things in her heart. It's the same phrase that was used just earlier in the chapter as, as, as the shepherds were there uh, at the Christmas scene, at the birth of Christ in the manger. And as the shepherds left, it says, and Mary pondered these things in her heart. And once again, you see Mary taking a step back and saying, I'm not really sure what all just took place right here, but something significant did. And she meditates on that. And then we see Jesus then goes on being that perfect child. And we see a little statement to his, to his growth and maturity. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and found favor with God and man. It says he, he increased in wisdom. And so he was increasing in his knowledge and the application of that knowledge. That's what wisdom is. It's the application of knowledge. We see this account. He was learning and growing and he was applying the things that he was learning. And so he grew in wisdom. We see he grew in stature. He was going from an infant to a 12-year-old. And then the next account we're going to see is about the age of 30. And we're going to see him growing up physically. It says he found favor with God. He was growing spiritually in his relationship with his heavenly father. And he found favor with man. He was growing relationally with others around him. It's a, it's a wonderful statement, parents. 
of, of an emphasis of how we should be going about raising our kids. As you see the balance between the mental, the physical, the spiritual, the relational, and the emotional that it goes with the relational there. But not only for us parents, though. I, I think there's application there for all of us. We all should be about growing and about being balanced in our growth. As we talk about returning, as we're coming off of the holidays and all of the celebration and the hype and the time together and, 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 and truly just a, a chance to lift up the name of Christ and, and His birth and absolutely all of the celebration that goes within that. And then we see returning back to day-to-day life I'd like to challenge us this morning with the fact that make worship a priority and be all about growth this, this coming week and this coming year. As you'd focus on growth in your life. Are you growing? As you look back over the last year, would you say to yourself, I can see where I've really grown a lot over this past year. I can see where God has taken us through and done and worked in our lives and, and we've grown in our relationship and our understanding with the Lord. We've grown in, in our relationships with each other and, and honoring God in our relationships with each other. I've grown spiritually. We've grown relationally. Have you grown this, this past year? Here you go. Five ways to grow in a balanced walk with Christ. Five ways to grow in a balanced walk with Christ. Number one, diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 says that faith comes to those who diligently seek Him. Make, be intentional about seeking God and spending time with God this coming year. Uh, we, we've talked over the last couple of years the importance of, of spiritual breathing. Of, of just even daily and, and moment by moment of, of confessing sin. Breathing out and the, the confession of sin and dealing with your junk and then breathing back in of who God is and the adoration of God and the worship statements of God of understanding who God is. Of spending time with Jesus. Setting aside that time daily. Not just to check a box. Please hear me. This is not about checking a box. It's not about doing my duty or anything like that. It, it's, it is about growth though. About saying, I want to spend time with you, Lord, each day. I'm going to spend time, I want to talk with you in our prayer. And prayer is not coming in with our Christmas list and saying, here you go, Lord. And I want this and I want this. That's not at all what it's about. But rather it's saying, Lord, this is what I see that's going on. This is where I see that you're at work. This is what I see you doing in my life. If I'm wrong, please change my perspective. May I understand and may I want what you want, Lord, in this situation, in this circumstance so diligently seek him number two search out wisdom from god's word proverbs eight thirty five. search out wisdom from god's word to increase in knowledge would you say that you've learned more about god in this past year would you say that you were intentional about learning more from God and learning more from God's word. Where was Jesus? He was sitting at the feet of the teachers. How much more 
should we make that a part of our lives and the increase in, in, in learning and growing? The more, who, who are you spending time with? Or maybe there are some things that we need to set aside. Maybe there's some things that they may not even be bad things, but they're distractions. They're getting us off course from the things that, that are the most important things. And so we may need to sit down here as we look in, in the next week and month and say, you know what, there may be some things. It's not bad maybe, but, but it's something I need to probably set aside. Change my, my focus and priorities there. Number three, develop a lifestyle of, pra- of praise. Develop a lifestyle of praise. Psalm 135 verse 2. Increase in thankfulness, in my gratitude. As I'm going through day to day and seeing all this taking place, instead of finding everything that's wrong, start thanking God for all that that He is doing, all that is going on. It's not so much about what I want in the moment and how I want things to be working in the moment, but understanding that God has blessed us in so many ways. It's about being content and not complaining. That, that lifestyle of, of praise. Number four, commit to the local body of Christ. Acts 2, verses 46 and 47. Commit to the local body of Christ. Acts 2, 46 and 47. You may not realize it, but our purpose here at Harvest is to make complete disciples. Have you heard that before? That phrase, making complete disciples. Making disciples who worship, walk, work, and witness. Saw some of those even in the points. Come join us in this. Be a part of what is going on here. We're actually very intentional about how we go about. That's why it's so important that that we're coming in on Sunday and worshiping corporately together. But not only that, just want to encourage you. If you're not in an impact group, sign up for one. Get in an impact group. Our groups are, are, we've got 40 some groups that meet about twice a month around in the area and we come together and we sit down and we open up God's word and we walk through what God is saying and we get very practical in applying in our lives. And we come alongside each other and, and we help keep each other accountable and we come alongside each other and encourage and do life together. It is an integral part of our spiritual growth. If you're not in one, we encourage you, get in one. It, it truly can can be very very beneficial in your in your spiritual walk. But not only that, find a place to to get involved and serve in the church. It's amazing how much we grow when we just lock arms together to do the work that God has called us to do together. There, there's a whole lot that's going on in a ministry this size. There's a lot of opportunities to get involved. There's a lot of needs. Uh, Here's a, here's a little fact for you. It's one of those lesser known facts. On any given Sunday, we're 10 people short for children's ministry. We could use 10 more people on any given Sunday to be involved in higher ground, to come alongside and serve and, and be a part of things. And, and things, are, things are covered well and staffed well. But yet even with that, we've got a lot of people that are pulling double duty, if you will, to make sure it's always covered. But I was talking to the children's ministry staff this week and about, about on average, 10 short. 
There's a lot of places to get involved. And if that's not your thing, there are other places to get involved as well. But, but find a place and, and be involved in serving. Commit to the local body, number four. Number five, walk in goodness and integrity with others. Proverbs 12, 2. Walk in goodness and integrity with others. The greatest commandment, Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Being loving others. Looking for ways to express that love and to care for others. To serve others. It's an integral part of our group and a, a part of our growth. And a, and a part of that, loving and serving others, and also goes hand in hand as we do life together. We invariably step on each other's toes and the need to forgive each other. Let me ask you that question. Is there anybody, any person that comes to mind right now in your mind that you think to yourself, or maybe God's prompting and saying, I might need to seek restoration in that relationship. Five ways to grow. Diligently seek Him. Search God's Word. Develop a lifestyle of praise. Commit to a local body of to the local body of Christ. Walk in goodness and integrity with others. In our family, when something's in, important, when we're when we're really serious about something, we make a plan and we write it down. This past fall, my wife ran her first full marathon. Uh, growing up, she was a runner, and, and she and I had run a half marathon a number of years ago, and I'm so glad I did it, because I'm never doing it again. <laughs> my wife, on the other hand, she's a whole lot, built a whole lot more like a runner than I am, obviously, but uh, she, she, she said, I, I think I want, to, uh, I want to do a marathon. And I thought that was a great idea, and so I went ahead and signed her up and paid the money. Because I know once I pay the money, she's in. And uh, so what we did is the 1st of June, I sat down and we, and we rode up. She was going to be the runner. I was going to be the trainer. So you all got to have a role. Got to know your job. And the, so I was the trainer. So I came up with the plan. I helped her execute the plan. I gave her all the rub downs and kept her well hydrated and, and high nutrition. Don't laugh at me, Bart. That's a, it's a serious job. It's a serious job. I mean, the race day, I'm the guy there that's got, you know, the vest on with all the stuff. I got the power gels. I got the aspirin. I got everything you need, right? And all she did, she just ran 26 miles. So, But we developed a plan. We had a 16-week training plan, and, and we put that plan, and we wrote it down, and we put it on the uh, bathroom door. And so that each week she could look ahead at what day she was going to be running what distances and and I want to be careful because, uh, you know, we, we can we, we like to check boxes too. She and I both do. And so this it wasn't about checking the boxes. Cause to to be real honest, uh, sometimes with some injuries and stuff, we had to alter that plan. But it was amazing how effective it is just to have it up and present and a constant reminder, so you knew where you were going, you knew what you were going to be doing, and you could kind of see the progress as you went. So let me ask you the question. Do you have a plan for growth this year? Do you, do you have a plan for growth? And I, I want to be careful here because I'm not talking about being legalistic and I'm not talking about just doing things to check boxes and, and to do it out of duty because that's not at all. It's not about the duty. It's about growth. But I do want to encourage you. Is there something 
that has just resonated with you, just even in the past few moments as we walk through, maybe an area that's lacking in your life, maybe you're not seeing a whole lot of growth right now. You say, you know what, really the Lord may be impressing on you. There may be something that you need to be going after starting today. Is there something new, possibly, that you need to be going after? You got it? I want to encourage you, write it down. And start making a plan. How are we going to start making worship a priority? And then being balanced in our growth. Learning applying and obeying God's word this coming year. Let's pray.